Thank you, Steph and team. That was pretty awesome. It's a great bridge into today's message. We're in this series uh, called Fight because hardwired into every human being is this passion to be a warrior, to fight for what is right, to fight, uh, to stand up for what is true, what is pure, what is just. And, you know, we can fight for good or we can fight for bad, but the fight to some degree or another can be found in almost every one of us. Now, I'm going to take a risk and use a very controversial and emotional figure here in Fort McMurray and throughout Alberta to bridge into my message. For many in Alberta, she is increasing our sense of an alienation from the rest of the country. I get that. But no matter where you stand uh, on the passion and emotion of 16-year-old Greta Thunberg from Sweden chastising world leaders for their lack of action on climate change, you've you got to admit she's a fighter. And if the story is correct, Greta's parents started off being strongly opposed to her going public with her fight, and they pushed back really hard on all of this. But Greta was determined uh, whether she had parental support or not, and once she saw that she was getting a little bit of social media traction, she just moved forward without parental support, and as the story goes, eventually her parents came around and are now very supportive of her. Again, I'm very aware of how emotional and explosive even mentioning Greta Thunberg is in a city like Fort McMurray, right? I think you know what I mean. I mean, a lot of people in our city, many of you as well, are pretty offended by her. Maybe not so much by Greta, but by those who are thrusting her onto the world stage and turning her into a media sensation. Others of you aren't sure what to make of Greta, and there are those, there are a few of you who are quietly supportive of her. I have a lot of friends in southern Ontario and southern BC who hail Greta as a saint. I have a friend who's a pastor in BC. He sees her as being similar to an Old Testament prophet. The fact that she has autism causes some to see her as even more of a hero. Parents with autistic kids love what they see, while it causes others to be a little more concerned. There seems to be no middle ground with Greta. Now, I asked Adrian not to put a picture of Greta up as I talked about her, because for some of you, she is a triggering figure. That picture would just be over the top, rousing in some of you unconscious anger that would cause you not to listen to the mess of my, rest of my message, and I want you to listen to me, so no picture. Anyways, my, my point in raising Greta is simply to point to the fact that she has gained world attention as a fighter for a cause that many in our world have very strong feelings about. And while we're not all wired to fight the same way that Greta is fighting, there is in each of us a passion to fight for what we believe. And so the Apostle Paul, who's written a large part of the New Testament, part of the Bible, he, he wrote a letter to a young man that he was mentoring named Timothy, where he encouraged Timothy, and at the same time as he's encouraging Timothy, he's encouraging all of us to fight the good fight of faith. So if you follow Jesus... You have been called to fight. You have been called to fight the good fight of faith. To fight for causes that are close to God's heart. To fight for the lives of people that they would be transformed by the power of Jesus now and forever. And in some ways, we are called to fight with the same passion that we see in Greta. Maybe not in the same way, but with the same level of passion and conviction. If only some Christians had that level of conviction. Last week I asked you, <clears throat> are you fighting for things that are really close to God's heart? Are you fighting for your family that they would know Jesus? That your kids would personally walk with Jesus? Are you fighting for your marriage, doing all that you can to make it work for your sake, for your kids' sake, for your spouse's sake? Are you fighting for your finances, fighting to get out of debt, 
fighting to manage what you possess wisely and fighting to be able to give some of your finances away to causes close to God's heart. Maybe there's an addiction that's been taking you down for years, a substance or pornography. Are you willing to fight for your own victory and seek God to do battle with you? Are you in the fight? Will you fight to see God's kingdom come, God's will done on earth as it is in heaven? Will you fight? We talked about team. Will you fight by being part of the team here, part of our youth ministry, kids ministry, hospitality team, tech team, on and on? Will you fight with Fort City for the sake of our city? Maybe it's a cause, like clean drinking water in a northern reserve or somewhere else in the world, or the sex trade, or a compassion child, or even maybe climate change. And, and while many of you do not feel comfortable with the extremism of Greta Thunberg, most of us would agree that we need to be good stewards of this planet that God has given us. So maybe your call is to fight the good fight of this planet and to figure out how to do it in a God-honoring way. Will you be a bit of a barbarian and fight for the work of God in our world? Friends, God has given you the heart of a warrior. Will you use it for good? This is all part of what it means to fight the good fight of faith. Now, I had promised last week as part of this fight series that I would talk about the Old Testament character by the name of Samson. That didn't happen, so we're going to go there today. Samson is a mighty warrior called by God to fight the good fight of faith. He was gifted with supernatural strength, but <clears throat> proved himself to be quite the weak-willed guy. Now, this part of my message is based on Craig Groeschel's book called Fight that is all about the story of Samson. It is Craig Groeschel who made the statement that I have grabbed a hold of. Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. And when I first heard that statement, I went, oh yeah, that's a lot of us. Maybe, maybe that's me, right? And that's a lot of us here in Fort McMurray. <clears throat> there are a lot of incredibly strong men and women in our city with incredibly weak wills. Men and women full of incredible potential to fight the good fight and to just make a huge positive difference in our world. But they're weak wills. They get the better of them. And all of that potential to make a huge difference for good and for God, it's just lost. And it's such a tragic waste of what we could be if only we would let God work in our lives. The story of Samson is found in the Old Testament book of Judges chapters 13 to 16. This is a rough, violent time in the history of Israel. I mean, these are dark days. The nation of Israel had been unfaithful to God, and the way God worked in the Old Testament, he doesn't work this way now since Jesus, but in the Old Testament, because of the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel, God put them under the rule of a foreign power, the Philistines, their enemies. So then... After being under this domination for a while, a point in time came when God said, Finally, you have learned your lesson. I'm going to rise up, raise up a man, Samson, who will help to deliver you from your bondage to the Philistines. So, backing it up a bit. There was this couple who were not able to conceive, who had this experience, this visit from an angel, uh, who had a word of an encouragement for them. And then, miraculously, they gave birth. And right from his birth, the Spirit of God was at work in his life and empowered him with supernatural physical strength. Like, we're talking almost superhuman-type powers, right? And the angel told Samson's parents that they were to live by what is known as a Nazarite vow. This is the vow the Apostle Paul also lived by for a period of time. It's a vow where you commit yourself to refrain from certain actions 
not because they're wrong, but simply as an outward symbol that you are fully committed to God and God alone. So the vow included, don't get drunk. Actually, it was stronger than that. He, he couldn't let alcohol touch his lips, not even a Bud Light. The second thing is, don't touch anything dead. Which, by the way, is something I hope to do next week. I, I have a little shopping trip planned for next week. Anyways, and the third is, don't get your hair cut. Let your hair grow and grow and grow. Some of you might remember Harrison, our wildfire pastoral associate from two years ago. He was good for two of these three parts of that vow, making him much saintlier than me. And if you're wondering which of the ones he didn't, I'll let you figure it out. He lived with myself and Jane and would have to walk by the bench uh, in our basement where I cleaned my guns. And he would physically tense up when he saw a gun. And that kind of transferred over to the no dead animals stance. And he'd eat meat, he just wouldn't participate in the harvesting of meat. And sadly, when Lucas and I saw him a couple of weeks ago, his hair is no longer so long. I mean, he's looking good and all, but he's less of a Nazarite now. And for those of you wondering what he's up to, he's raising funds so that he can be a young life worker in Seattle. Harassing Harrison aside, a Nazarite vow is similar to baptism like you saw last week. A Nazarite vow is an outward sign of an inward commitment. It was an outward sign that he was set apart for God's purposes. Okay. I get that some people really struggle with these violent parts of the Old Testament that we're in. This is just a very different, very violent time in world history. And so I'll just say it as it happened, that with God's supernatural strength upon him, Samson was able to slay, that's righteously kill, 1,000 Philistine men kind of all at once. I mean, that's a lot of blood. Like, a lot of blood, right? And, and when God's strength was upon him, he could and did rip a lion apart. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Many of you know my story that several years ago in the Mariana Lake here south of the city, I had this awesome opportunity to take two deer at the same time. But I had this spectacular experience where after I shot these two deer, a really healthy, very large lynx came out to claim them for himself. The lynx was staring me down as it started to move towards one of my downed deer. So I wanted to grab my phone and video this incredibly confident, very large and quite majestic lynx but this situation for me was just a little too intimidating not to keep my rifle ready. I'm sure some of you would agree. I'm pretty sure the lynx knew that he could take me too, right? And one thing I understood, I am not a Samson. I did not have the strength to tear this lynx apart with my hands should it come to that. So no, I'm going to keep my rifle ready. The lynx was no more than 30 yards away, if that. And so even with a high-powered rifle, the odds are really stacked against me if it decided to make a run for it. Backing away only caused the lynx to move forward. Yay. And, and the standoff was like, I don't know, only four minutes maybe, but it seemed like an hour. I mean, if you're eye to eye with a lynx looking at your deer and you're moving around and it moves with you, that's kind of intimidating. I'll, I'll just admit that I was intimidated. And uh, yeah, uh, in the end, it sauntered away. Yay. It was a really, and when it sauntered away, I go, wow, that was an awesome encounter. But in the moment, I wished I had the strength of Samson. Samson's accomplishments are legendary, and then so are his weaknesses. He had so much God-given potential, yet again and again, he made bad decisions and he self-destructed. Same deal for many of us. All throughout this room, there is so much potential for kingdom movement forward, for good to be done on earth as it is in heaven, 
for you to become someone you, you know, for you to help someone you know and love experience Jesus. Uh, there is so much potential here to see the good fight of faith fought well and successfully, but so often we let our weak wills get the better of us. Some of you, you know, you're just amazing where you work. You take charge, you conquer the job, and then you come home and you flake out. And the kids, they don't get the dad or the mom that they deserve. You're committed in one place, uncommitted in another. Now, that's not all of us. Don't hear me say that, but it is a struggle for some of us. Well, we have men and women throughout our city who are committed to their finances, their job, uh, their sports. They're committed to their hobby, but they can't commit to each other. Or when it comes to faith, you'll spend all of your time doing things that you love, but struggle to find five minutes in God's Word to help you grow spiritually. I, I listen to guys in particular on this one, but it's true of women as well. You know, people who truly love God, they really do. They love their wives, they love their husbands, they really do. But they're locked in a prison of lust and are too afraid to ask for help. So much potential, but self-destructing at the same time. And hey, I don't mean to heap any guilt by listing all this. This is just our reality. And I believe that there is hope in the midst of this reality. And this reality was very much the situation with Samson. Samson, with all of the potential and supernatural power that he was gifted with by God, still he allowed himself to become weak because of things like lust, entitlement, pride. Okay, what is lust? When you see something you desire, what do you say? You lust after it and you say, I want it. I gotta have it. I'll get it. Right? Like the guy or woman too who slips into a pattern of lust and throws all logic out the window. It may be that he wants the woman, she wants the fix, they want the sexual thrill. It, it could be that she wants advancement on the job site or, you know, money to buy that new bedroom set and you forget every step of logic and you pursue what you want with reckless abandon. That's what Samson does. Let me read to you from the book of Judges. Samson went down to Timnah and he saw there a young Philistine woman. I almost think he could translate that. He saw a hot Philistine woman because that's what's going on in his mind. When he returned, he said to the father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. She's cute, right? Now get her for me as my wife. First of all, Samson is somewhere he's not supposed to be. This is enemy territory. And this was a woman that he was forbidden to marry because Jews were not allowed to intermarry with those who don't worship God. But here's Samson. I saw her. I want her. And he just throws logic aside. And he says, I don't care what my God says. I don't care what my dad says. I don't care what my mom says. I don't care what's right. I don't even care what's wise because I'm a man and I've got a desire and I want it. And this lust just strips Samson of so much potential. And yeah, over and over again, in this city, we see lust making strong women and strong men so weak. Again, I am not speaking words of condemnation. I'm simply describing what is. And I want you to know that God wants to work through your weakness and make you strong. God wants to deliver you from your bondage to lust or whatever it is. Okay. Second thing as we read about Samson is his spirit of entitlement, right? Not just an issue today, but way back then. You know, like the guy who says, come on, give me a little love, right? 
or the person who says, I work hard, I deserve it, or I, I've been slaving away, I, I deserve it, and I hear this one all the time. I put up with him, I deserve it, right? Same deal with Samson. He, he's going along one day and a lion jumps out and you and me read that and go, so what's the deal here, right? He killed a lion, more power to him. Man, I wish I could do that. Like, what's the problem here? David killed a lion, no big deal. And hey, the Spirit of God came upon him and empowered him to kill that lion. And he ripped that lion apart. Hey, I think that's cocky. That's cool. He ripped that big cat apart. Yeah. But sometimes later, the prophet Samuel, who we believe wrote the book of Judges, he, he tells us that when Samson went back to marry this uh, hot Philistine woman, I just put it in those terms because that's how he's thinking, he, he's going back for the wedding and uh, Samuel tells us that he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and in it was a swarm of bees and some honey. You know that phrase, be careful little eyes what you see? And even more so, be careful after you see what you do, right? He turned aside to look, and what did Samson do? He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents as they're going to the wedding, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the money from the lion's carcass. So, anyone see a problem here? I see two things. One, this is just nasty, right? Let me just pick on men for a minute. You, you know often we're just nasty like that, right? Case in point. Just watch how a man determines if a pair of underwear on the ground is clean or dirty. Well, what does a man do? He just turns it inside out and wears it again, right? That's, that's just nasty. Men are nasty like that. Well, there's this lion carcass hanging out there. That's nasty. You know, it's decaying, it's rotting. But that's not the real problem here. The real problem, do you remember, he's not supposed to touch dead things, right? He's okay to kill a lion, he's not okay to touch it after it's down. Now, if things go my way, I hope to take a deer down, but it's not the rut, so I'll put that out as an excuse ahead of time. But should I put a deer down to be extra holy, I should say to the guys I'm with, sorry guys, I'm done, the rest is up to you, I gotta stay holy, I'm the pastor. No, that ain't gonna happen. So Samson, what does he do? The same God that gave him power to rip <clears throat> that lion apart, he betrays. He betrays a vow to the God who had blessed him. For what? A handful of honey. Who would be stupid enough to betray God for a handful of honey? Answer? Like you and me, right? So many of us betray our God every, God, every day. Our, our God who has so blessed us because we just are so quick to leap into sinful things that only hurt us and actually hurt people around us. Again, these are not words of condemnation. This is just true of all of us. This is our reality. But our God has something better for all of us. So we have lust. I want it. Entitlement. I deserve it. And then there's pride. I'm strong. I can handle this. No worries. I got this. Now, as uh, Samson and his family go to the home of this girl, uh, you know, to plan the wedding and do all of the festivities ahead of the wedding, we read that Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. You know all about this. The friends of the groom get together and party, right? I, I just heard one, about one guy here in town, and he and his guy friends took a full week of camping in a remote part of the Rockies for a week before the wedding. At the end of the week, the groom was barely in any shape at all to be able to walk up the aisle to the altar to get married. 
It was just a week-long kager, or maybe multiple kagers, and they all got wasted. And the guys go, no worries. I can handle this. Fact is, some do, some don't, many don't. Because what happens to so many of us? We say, I can handle it. And before long, that substance handles us. Why is AA and Narcotics Anonymous so huge, such a major part of our city? Why do the major companies invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into rehab for their workers? I deserve it. I can handle it. I want it. I want the toy. I can handle the payments. I want to look. I want it to stay with me. I deserve a little sexual fun. I want it. And then the next thing you know, it happened to Samson. That loss, that sense of entitlement, that sense of pride that I can handle it, led to a downward spiral. And then a crash. Like we're talking a huge crash, like a life-altering crash. Okay. I'm going to fast forward to the end of Samson's life. You might want to read the whole story of Samson in Judges 13 to 16 yourself, or even read Craig Rochelle's take on the story in his book, Fight, because I'm skipping over a whole lot of stuff. When we get to the end of the story of Samson's life, it is incredibly tragic. Samson is seduced by a woman and seduced over and over again. You read it and you pull your hair out and you go, this defies logic. That's the way it is. He's incredibly weak-willed. And in his weak wilderness, his hair gets cut while he's asleep. And then with now all three vows broken, God has had enough and withdraws his supernatural power from Samson. Then the Philistines come and overpower him. They bind him up and he can't get free. They gouge his eyes out. They leave him totally blind and helpless. I mean, this is a horrific picture. Samson was a strong man with an incredibly weak will, and his life tragically came crashing down on him. I know, some of you are pushing back on me going, Doug, that story's a little overdramatic, okay? I'm not going to get my eyes gouged out, okay? You're probably right. Your eyes probably won't get gouged out. I get that. It might be worse than that. It could be in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, and you look back at a failed marriage and you realize, oh my gosh, that was mostly my fault. What am I doing here? Here I am, so alone with so many regrets. There may be a day when your children don't want to see you at Christmas. I mean, these are stories that I hear all the time. I do. You know, the, the kids have no respect for you. They don't. They, they don't want to be near you. Or you're just so humiliated by something that you did that you can't go out in public. And friends, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to end that way. Even if you don't avoid all the mess, there is always hope. So... The story of Samson ends with the Philistines bringing Samson out onto a public stage of the, of the pagan temple of Dagon to be humiliated in front of all of the people. This is a time of worship and thanksgiving to the pagan god Dagon, who the Philistines believe delivered Samson into their hands. The crowd is cheering in a whipped-up emotional frenzy, giving thanks to Dagon for the humiliation of Samson. Take a look at what we read in the book of Judges. Now, the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. I mean, this is an incredibly pathetic picture. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. You know, in his humiliation, I think Samson gets it. This is all his own fault. This is all because of his stupidity. 
This is all because he gave in continually to his lust, his sense of entitlement, his praise. He got it. And he knew that God was still God, that God was still on the throne, and that God is able to do what we cannot do. And so he prayed one last time, and then, wow, look at what happens. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Nice evening story, eh? How does God work to make weak men and weak women strong? It's when they turn to him. It's when they surrender their lives, lay down their wants in exchange for his strength. It's, it's when you pray and ask. This is what Jesus would say to weak-willed people, to you and me today. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, I, I want you to know, there is spiritual greatness within you. That God's power, no matter what you've been into, you can be transformed. You can be made new. You can be made different. You can make a difference in this world. You can fight the good fight of faith and win. But you must seek God for it. You've got to ask for it. You've got to say, I want God. I need God. I need God's strength. In fact, let's say that together. I know you don't like doing this, shouting out in the middle of my message, but I'm going to get you to do it anyways. Let's say this together. I want God. I need God. I need God's strength. That was really bad. <laughs> We're going to try it one more time. I know you don't like it, but you can do it. You know. Let's try it one more time. I want God. I need God. I need God's strength. I want his daily power. I want his word living inside of me. I want his spirit convicting me of when I sin and correcting me and leading me into a life that works, a life that lives and loves well. I want to hear his voice leading me. I want God. An 18th century preacher by the name of D.L. Moody once said, the world is yet to see what God can do through one man, one woman, fully committed to him. Here's the truth. Our God loves to make the weak strong. Through his Holy Spirit, with his power, there is spiritual greatness in you. It is a gift of God planted in you. God can stir that giftedness, that greatness up. God can strengthen you. God can move you forward to become what you so yearn to become, what he has designed you to become. It does not matter what happened in the past or what happened this morning. If you will say yes to Jesus, allow him to fill you with his strength-giving Holy Spirit, you can be that person, that man, that woman. You can be that gracious barbarian, that person of courage. You can be that person of spiritual strength, a, a person of integrity. And you can be someone who, yeah, defends the defenseless. You can be a man or a woman after God's own heart. But you'll never be that person as long as you're strong in your own strength. You've got to admit where you are weak. And then our God just loves to make weak people strong. He'll do it for you. Because in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. So let's pray that. Let, let's pray that God will transform our weakness into his strength. Let's bow for prayer. So Lord, God, I, I pray that you would make some weak people here strong. Strong in your spirit, by your power, for your glory, that we would serve and honor you in every way. 
Help each and every one of us to recognize where we're weak and to call to you for strength. God, for some of us who are facing a temptation that we still haven't been able to overcome, give us the courage to look to you and call to you for overcoming power. And then, friends, as I'm praying, would you take these words and just kind of pray them on your own and make them your own prayer, your own words. God, I want you. Just tell them that. God, I need you. God, I ask you to come into my life. Fill me with your spirit and give me strength. Just ask him to do that in your life. Give me strength to live and love well. Give me strength to overcome addictions and bad habits and hang-ups that are so destructive to me and to those I live with. I need your strength. I need your presence. I need you. I really need you, and so I ask for you to come and strengthen me at my point of need. Thank you that I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.